Dateline, 1st of June, 2015. Well, good day, folks. Welcome to the Australia Desk for episode 352 on the 1st of June. And, uh, well, Grant, of course, as everybody knows on this side of the world, that's the first day of winter. It's cold already. Yeah, it was rather cold today. It was rather brisk. Well, you know, Grant, we say this every year, don't we? It was cold by our standards. Now, nobody nobody from the US where it actually gets really, really cold, and none of you Europeans either send in and tell us that we don't know what we're talking about. Hey, great density altitude here today. That's all I'm saying. Grant, <laughs> let's talk all things airlines. And, uh, well, Grant, surprise, surprise, the airlines are not happy. Yeah, that's right, mate. That's right. That's uh, because our uh, glorious leaders are uh, contemplating reducing restrictions on demand domestic flying of passengers for international airlines. Uh, it's basically a, a reduction, um, a loosening, you might say, of the cabotage restrictions. Many are saying that you reduce cabotage, you increase sabotage. But basically what's happening is uh, they're considering a proposal to allow foreign airlines to pick up passengers and fly them between destinations north of the Tropic of Capricorn. Tropic of Capricorn being, of course, the uh, line which defines where the tropics start when you're going from south to north. Uh, Tropic of Cancer is the one in the northern hemisphere. So technically, you could uh, fly into Darwin from overseas on an airline. They could pick up some Australian passengers in Darwin and fly them to Townsville or even across to Broome or things like that. So... Basically, it's not going to allow somebody to come in and stop in Darwin and then fly on to Sydney, having picked up Darwinians to take to Sydney. It's um, it's mostly just for flights in the tropics, but still it's uh, got the hackles up on a lot of folks. The airlines and the unions are all joining in saying this is a bad thing. And I don't know that that's particularly uh, bad criticism there either, Grant, because, um, you know, as it's pointed out in this article that we'll put a link to in the show notes by our good friend Steve Creedy, Australian domestic carriers have just come out from a uh, rather, as he puts it, a bruising capacity war, which forced down fares and plunged them into deep, deep losses. Now, you know, that's sort of uh, that's sort of moderated a bit now, but bringing in more competition from foreign airlines who, you know, have backing from their governments, a lot of them do anyway, um, I don't know that that's a really good move for them and uh, wouldn't be, you know, the flow and effects for jobs I don't think would be particularly positive either. But the interesting thing is, Grant, well, everything north of the Tropic of Capricorn in this country, well, there's not that many people in the grand scheme of things. There's not that much population north. Most of Australia's big population centres are way south of the Tropic of Capricorn. So really, what's the point? Well, it's mostly for the um, the foreign travellers, I guess. And, and for there, there is a bit of a, a movement between, you know, Darwin and um, Townsville and Broome and Port Douglas, but you know it's um, look the, 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 there's a lot of people waving the flags of yeah it's going to uh, yeah increase competition it'll probably drop drop prices a little but then it's also going to turn around and lead to some of the domestic airlines going well stuff it we're not going to pl- fly those routes anymore because it's just not uh, effective for us and um, you're also uh, getting the cards raised of uh, well we've got some of these foreign airlines that. Uh, they're really just not that um, safe, is what people are saying. They don't have to uh, comply to Australian business regulations and to Australian safety regulations. So uh, meanwhile, the domestic operations all have to comply to the extremely expensive regulatory compliance that is flying in Australia. And they also have to comply with uh, workplace rules and uh, the taxes that the other airlines don't have to worry about. Let's say they brought this in and let's say theoretically, um, as John Borghetti from uh, Virgin is suggesting uh, here that, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, Australia, it would make these routes unviable for our own domestic carriers. Okay, let's say they stop operating 
building up in that area, um, well, that's not going to mean low prices are going to hang around for a long time because if that competition disappears, well, you can guarantee that fares will go straight back up again. In, in, you know, Instead of paying those higher fares with an Australian flag carrier, you might be paying it to AirAsia X or whoever. Yeah, it's, it's really rare that you see the pilots union, the maintenance union, the airlines and a whole lot of other groups all saying the same thing, which is, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, Grant, in, uh, in all the years we've been doing this segment, this might be the first time ever that we've reported that they're all in furious agreement with each other. I don't think this has ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a bit of a first, mate. Well, Grant, uh, let's move on from airlines and let's talk exciting things like the Red Bull Air Race. Uh, Aussie Matt Hall back on the podium again. That's right, mate. I was uh, staying up late last night to watch it. I stayed up late Saturday night uh, to watch the uh, the qualifying, and that was really cool. It was pretty good flying going on. And uh, then uh, last night, I thought Matt was out. I thought he uh, had been pipped out by uh, Nigel Lamb, but lo and behold, he wound up as the <clears throat> fastest loser. I'm not sure I really like that phrase, but anyhow. Yeah, the lucky really loser, let's say. Into the round of eight he went, Grant. And uh, yeah, uh, then he comes up against uh, Paul Bonham of uh, the UK. Now, uh, anyone who tr- <laughs> tries to race up against Bonheim is going to have their work cut out for them. The guy is a superb pilot and oh. uh, very, very hard to beat. He certainly is, mate. But I tell you what, Matt flew first and he did the fastest run through the course of anyone in the whole weekend absolutely blistering. It was certainly the day's fastest and I think it was the fastest for the whole weekend and he certainly put the pressure on Bonhomme. And it certainly showed. Uh, in fact, uh, it really forced him to fly uh, dangerously and let's have a listen to the uh, race callers here, Nick Fellows and air show legend Mike Mangold call the action. Nice. He didn't roll early. He's up in the vertical. A nice hard turn. He's up in the time as well. Into chicane for the last time. 0.39. Bonhomme raising his game. Exactly where he needs it. It's an Yes, the maximum G limit. In fact, um, one of the rules they brought in uh, for the relaunch of the series last year was that pilots are not, not allowed to exceed 10 Gs in a turn. You know, in previous series, sometimes they'd go 11 and even. I've even seen as high as 12 just briefly. Obviously, that's not safe. So uh, anyone who goes over 10 Gs uh, in a turn uh, is straight away disqualified. And that's uh, what happened to Paul Bonham uh, there. So he, you know, he really, I mean, uh, Paul Bonham is a superb pilot and uh, a very, very smooth flyer. But uh, the turn that he pulled there on that gate, if you see it in the replays uh, that uh, you'll you'll see in the Red Bull Air Race coverage coming up later in the week, he really did have to push it there. And, uh, well, good on Matt Hall. He really forced him into a position where he had to do that, and it paid off for him. That's right, mate. And then uh, he made it through to the final four, and the round of four, he wound up coming third. Mate, I tell you, I, th- I thought it was all over when uh, when he got pipped out by Nigel, and uh, but Oh, he came back in and it was just amazing. Had me on the edge of my seat pretty much the whole night. Absolutely amazing. The race uh, in the end was won by Austrian champion Hannes Arch. Uh, Martin Schonker came second and uh, I guess the margin there was uh, 0.071 of a second between the three. So uh, very, very tight. Let's have a listen to see what Matt Hall had to say uh, after the race. I uh, didn't start the way I, I hoped with the, with the round of 14, having to uh, just scratch through as the uh, the fastest loser. Uh, but I was really proud of myself in the, in the round of eight. Once again, I think any of us could have won that race today and uh, I've just been pipped again by a mere, mere tenths of seconds. Um, so it's uh, it's good to be gathering points and it's good for a third podium. Um, but, uh, geez, I keep pushing for that win. 
He certainly does keep put, you know, it's really, really close now. But interestingly, with uh, Bonham not scoring, uh, you know, major points in that round and Matt Hall getting another podium, they're both, both now equal top of the ladder in the overall stakes, both on 25 points each. Well, Matt Hall uh, is a former uh, Royal Australian Air Force pilot, as we've mentioned many, many times, which leads us segue quite neatly to news about the Royal Australian Air Force. Grant, a couple of quick stories here about some of their heavier metal. The uh, Royal Australian Air Force's E7A Wedgetail Airborne Early Warning and Control Platform Form, aka the toaster, has uh, completed its uh, final operational capability. Uh, it's now fully up and ready to go. The whole chain of logistics, training, support, everything, it's all fully operational. And uh, a big chunk of that was proving itself on operations in Iraq as paid part of Operation Okra. There's certainly a good way to get those aircraft bedded in. Of course, the uh, the six wedgetail aircraft that we have in the fleet here, um, you know, they've, they've been flying around the skies for quite a number of years now. Obviously, a lot of uh, newer technology there to prove, and um, you know, it's it's certainly taken a long time to do it. But that's just the way of things when it comes to this sort of uh, cutting edge technology. So we're uh, glad to see that uh, those aircraft are coming in. And I tell you what, Grant, it's an exciting time to be uh, in, in the Royal Australian Air Force. I've said this quite a few times lately, but the number of new aircraft that are coming into our fleet now is fantastic, and uh, Another story we see here in AustralianAviation.com.au talks about one of our latest uh, acquisitions, a new C-17 rolling out of the paint shop there at the Long Beach plant over there in California. So, uh, you know, the first of an additional two of those aircraft coming across. That's right, mate. We mentioned about them a while back and uh, they've finally had all the paperwork done and uh, obviously just about to come over because lo and behold, there's that tail with the uh, stallion on it and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing how they're going to squeeze all of these into the space that they've got. But I guess with some in maintenance and some deployed overseas uh, and others uh, working around Australia, they should be able to uh, park them in many locations. Well, that's everything we have for you on this week's Australia Desk. I'll tell you what, Grant, uh, here with wintertime, I think I can almost see the allure of flying hot air balloons. It must be nice and toasty warm up there, mate. Oh, once the burners kick in, you uh, d- definitely do uh, warm up. But it's the uh, during the cold inflation with the fan blowing cold air past you, if you're holding the mouth of the balloon open in the middle of winter, just ask a few friends that I've had doing that for me. <laughs> okay, well, I'm still not going flying with you in that case. Until next week, I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. Up, up and away, man. <laughs> Cheers, folks.